everyone. Welcome to Televisions, the podcast, an audio companion to the Televisions website and a show made by Anglophiles for Anglophiles. I am Lacey Bogomilis and I'm the editor here at this rodeo. And joining me as per usual is my co-host and associate editor, Miss Andy Bono. Woo hoo. Woo and two. Is that what one says at a rodeo? What does one say at a rodeo? Uh, you know, I've never been to a rodeo, <laughs> which is funny because I'm like very Southern, you but are. I guess that's maybe more Western. I don't, I don't know. know. I've been to, I've been to the state fair of Virginia many times and they have a variety of entertaining activities to watch. My favorite is the pig races, which is literally where pigs race each other. Um, and they have like a demolition derby, but I don't think they ever had like a rodeo. I don't know. I believe I believe the Virginia State Fair is where I got fried Coke. Like fried Coca-Cola. Yeah, they really do they really do I for a second I thought you meant like the No, the like fried Coca-Cola. Illegal, illegal drug. <laughs> and I was like, I just don't know how that works from like a utility standpoint. But um yeah, they really do have virtually fried everything. Like if you can if you can dream it, you can fry it. <laughs> and they also have these like meat parfaits which is basically like like meat and mashed potatoes like layered like it was a mcdonald's flurry or something it's i mean it's like so great oh i do think i do think i remember that (laughs) honestly we love the fair okay so what are we talking about today other than the fair i don't know Annie and i were talking for a while before we started recording this has been a long list of very bizarre unconnected topics that we've talked about today much like this episode may end up being um she said classily segueing into her actual job uh today uh, we are we are entering the end of the year which i am sure many people out there have have recognized because it's almost christmas um you're suddenly seeing like best of lists everywhere we're gonna do a best of episode in a week or so and uh so we're trying to just all kind of wrap up the year that was in television and entertainment so because the back half of this year was kind of overflowing with content we didn't get to talk about as many of the things we wanted to do so welcome to our now stream this roundup which we are creatively subtitling everything else we saw (laughs) um and or wanted to talk about but haven't gotten to so this is gonna be a hodgepodge of things across a variety of services and uh, hopefully you guys will will hear about something that either you really liked or were curious about or or I don't know, super hated and just wanted to tell us about. Um, yeah, this uh, uh, we actually were planning on doing episodes on some of these things um, like The Great, for instance. Um, the Great is uh, we, we talked about The Great Season 1 a little bit, I think, last year. Um, it's Elle Fanning and Nicholas Hout, and the two of them are, uh, basically Peter the, Peter the Great and Catherine the Great, and they, uh, except it's not actually historically accurate in the slightest. Um, it's a very fun show, though, and, um, season two premiered at the beginning of November, and, uh, it, uh, had, uh, Gillian Anderson as a guest star playing, uh, Catherine the Great's mother, 
um, which is also completely historically inaccurate because Catherine the Great's mother never actually went and visited her. Um, um, I think she actually, I think she actually died before they were crowned. Um, yes, that would be correct. Um, but then again, you know, Peter is supposed to be dead by the time that Catherine becomes Empress, and she's Empress now, and um, he's still alive, and they're still having sex. So uh, actually, actually, historically, he lived a little bit past that, but not that much. No, either way, he's pretty much supposed to be dead at this point, and he's not because you know they're 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 having a love story right now. In fact, they kind of decided have a love story at the end of season two which i was a little surprised by but um i mean it's a it's not a bad thing i just was a little surprised by it um anyway so i um i i just wanted to talk about the great a little bit and let people know that season two is out and how much how great this is it's on hulu and i just want people to know how great the great is because it really is and i feel like because there was just sort of this like glut of things in November that people may have missed that it was back or even that it got a second season because the way the first season ends, you feel like it could have gone either way. And um, yeah, it's here. It's good. Yeah. Like, honestly, it's better than the first season, I think, because there are so many like sort of tertiary figures that get like a a lot to do this season that they didn't maybe in the first season because it was really like Catherine and some other people with occasional like doses of Peter. But um like uh elizabeth is my stealth mvp of season two i love her so much um yeah and i mean nicholas holt is also like incredible in this season so i'm not super mad that they let peter live but uh no i have to say like honestly like uh, he's never been better in anything up until now like i'm genuine like i was genuinely impressed by him this season um you know and and the thing is is that like some of these things are actually like some of it is historically accurate like the one thing that Catherine knew when she was pregnant is that this was the point where she was the safest as long as she had the air in her belly and was on track to you know give birth to it healthily she was safe and so you know having a a coup at that moment is the smartest move one could possibly do since um you know that's the one point where nobody's going to come around and kill you um but i i thought that the way that they sort of really honed in on that was really brilliant um even though like you know it, it seems like such a weird little thing. Um, but, you know, it also really talked about how, like, you know, coups are hard, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, and trying to change the direction of a gigantic country is hard. You know, one of the things about Catherine the Great is that she, you know, she basically grabbed Russia by the neck and dragged them into, like, the post-Renaissance period um be- where the rest of Europe was and that it had basically been left behind and Russia wasn't all that thrilled to be dragged especially it's uh, especially it's royal court um and i feel like the show really you know for all that it is historically accurate and so it's historically inaccurate in so many ways that it really sort of captured that feeling of her frustration and 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 how and how recalcitrant everyone was to basically her doing them a favor. <laughs> I think um, I think my favorite thing about the show is that I know I've talked before about how I really love this trend in sort of period slash historical dramas of trying to um, 
I'm going to say modernized, but I don't really mean modernized, modernized from a sense that like this is still a story about a time that is well before ours. But I think it is really um, it's really using the the period drama sort of setting and tropes and things to to dig into questions that I think are very are very necessary and relevant for like where we are right now. And it's not just, it's not just like a, uh, as much as I enjoyed the, the series that HBO did with Helen Mirren, um, about Catherine the great, that was very much like, here are the points of her life. And we're going to like, you know, we're going to dramatize them. We're going to reenact them. We're going to tick the box of like, here are all the things that happened in the order they happened in. It's, you know, it's got a very biopic kind of feel. This is not that because half of this stuff didn't even actually happen. But I think this show is nevertheless still important because it's, it's, it's wrestling with, with things that, you know, the Helen Mirren series didn't because that wasn't what it was trying to do. But I love that about the great. I love that so much of this is about women and what power is like for women and what trying to manage power is like for women and and how that's very isolating and marginalizing and how a lot of these questions about like what are women allowed to do and be and say are still things that we're asking about women in public life right now. Um, I think the fact that um, by using fictional, by using a historical figure that everyone knows, but fictionalizing their life like this, the show gets at a lot more thing, a lot more home truths about the character and the story than uh, than than something like the Helen Mirren one is even capable of doing because it's so focused on trying to tell you the truth that it sort of misses the truth. And I feel like I feel like Hulu's series really gets at a much deeper truth, even if it's telling you that by using completely false narratives that didn't actually happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, another show that we wanted to talk about that we had originally scheduled to do and got dropped um, is another one that does the same sort of thing. And that's Dickinson. Uh, which is also technically like not British, but it feels really British. So we like it. It's like Ted Lasso that way. And, you know, honestly, like it's also from Apple TV Plus in the same way. Like they have these sort of not actually British British shows. Um, and, and Dickinson is another one where it, nothing here is quite historically accurate. And yet it- a lot of it is, though, because technically the third season of Dickinson is set during the American Civil War. And it's a lot about like uh, Emily wrestling with the question of like what good is art what good is creativity what good is making the poems that she's making in a time that's so tumultuous that that is so full of like death and uncertainty and horror but um historically the real emily the american civil war that was her most prolific time as a poet i think something like i mean we're not sure obviously because most of her poems never made it out of a drawer until after her death but uh, it is speculated that up to two thirds of what she wrote was written during that window. So it's a really kind of interesting way to wrestle with the idea that that great art can come from horror and and can often be inspired by terrible things. And so, I mean, it is Dickinson is actually surprisingly accurate for all that it it make the, when i say inaccurate i mean like it's making up a lot of the like the day-to-day stuff about emily dickinson herself because there's really very little for us to know like who she was and what she was doing because a lot of that basically got erased from the narrative um and 
like as I always come back to that season two episode where she enters like the local uh, baking competition and she makes like this 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 boozy raisin cake that has like five pounds of raisins in it. That really happened, and she won. She like won a contest with this recipe that you can still go and like look up this recipe for this cake. It sounds horrible, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's like that's the kind that's the kind of like like it's real but not real because like that is a true thing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I also just, this season, okay, so if, if you're wondering, the, one of the reasons why we dropped the Dickinson episode is because we already did an episode on Dickinson this year. Um, we did one back at the beginning of the year. And if you're wondering why we're doing another one, it's because Apple, it, basically season two was delayed due to the pandemic. And then rather than delay season three to next year in order to have like one season a year, Apple TV decided to just go ahead and air season three where it was originally supposed to go, um, which was this sort of Christmas holiday space. Um, and so we basically got both second and third season of Dickinson in one year. And this is the final season. Um, but one of the things about this season, because it is sort of the final season, is that it re- it really leans all the way into some of the more fantastical elements. Like the last two episodes that have ju- that just aired, um, the uh, the the a, lo- a loaded gun is one of them, and the one right before that is uh, a future the future never spoke are two of my absolute favorite episodes of the season, and I'm kind of glad we waited to talk about this until they were already out. Um, the future never spoke has this intense fantasy sequence where she basically kind of like it's kind of a dream sequence where she is seeing all of her family and friends and people she loves in this sort of like she's sort of like running through the bowels of the earth and she keeps going down and down and down and 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 isn't that the one where she climbs into her own grave yes that's the one where she climbs into her own grave and it is it is which feels like extremely emily dickinson right like it is (laughs) and it's it's Oh no, sorry. If the, that's the that's the one that just came out as the one where she climbs to her own grave. The one before that, the uh, the future the future never spoke is the, the one, one. No, no, the one before that is the Sylvia Plath. Is one. the Sylvia Sylvia Plath one where they literally travel in time to 1955? Um, not not Emily and Sue. Emily and her sister uh, Lavinia. They literally go and Emily gets to see in in sort of this Doctor Who in Doctor Who sort of way where like Doctor Who shows Vincent Van Gogh that he that 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 one day he will be you know remembered and his paintings loved emily dickinson gets to actually go to smith and see like a building named after her and like and and how everybody loves her and it's 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 an and she she and sylvia plath have this sort of conversation of these you know these sort of sad girl poets who've sort of been lumped together in this in this sort of like you know uh, in 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 education now, like you sort of get the two of them together a lot. Um, and which is I, funny because their actual works are very different. They are. Um, <laughs> but I, I really sort of love the fact that like we actually got to see them meet. Um, and that they actually got to sort of like exchange ideas. And Emily gets to see that her work will be published, and she will be, you know, uh. Uh, and, and that she will eventually get the recognition. I, I loved that. Um, I loved that episode too, because, but I also really loved it because, well, for two reasons. Uh, one, it's the episode where Emily comes out to her sister. Yes. And I thought that was just like beautiful. Um, but two, I really liked the inclusion of Sylvia Plath just because I like Sylvia Plath, but also because, 
I think it's a really kind of interesting uh, look at how we ask sort of female artists to fit into like certain boxes. After I watched that, I was like, wow, I would really watch like an Apple TV series about Sylvia Plath because I think um, in that in that sequence, you see a lot of the kind of popular myths that have taken hold around who Emily Dickinson was and how that impacted her writing and what her writing means. And I think you have a lot of similar myths around who Sylvia Plath was and what her writing means and where she kind of fits into the literary canon. It's a little bit different because we have a lot more like direct access to what Sylvia Plath was doing and thinking. She married another famous poet. So like there's a very, you know, there's there's just more historical record there. But I think thematically they're of a piece that we like to think about Emily Dickinson as being like the sad recluse who never left her childhood bedroom. But we also like to think about Sylvia Plath as the woman who put her head in an oven. Right. And their lives are more and bigger and more impactful than that. Yeah. And 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 you also get to see Emily react to some of the 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 false narratives that have taken hold, like the fact that she is, you know, that she wandered around doing nothing but wearing white, um, that that, that she was this dried up old spinster and a virgin. And 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 I, I think at one point, so I think Sylvia says, you all, all you did was where where all Emily Dickinson did was wear white and cry. And like Emily's just like, I'm sorry, I what? <laughs> And like, and and then it, it it spills into the one where she walks into her own grave in the next episode because you actually do see her running around in the white dress, and you and you sort of see like her sort of turn into that fantasy of Emily Dickinson as she's going through this sort of nightmare scenario, and and the the uh, a loaded gun which is the one that just came out is the one where she walks into her own grave and it is just such a visually. Stunning piece. Um, and it's to me like one of the best episodes that the show has ever done. Um, and really, again, in the same way as The Great, you know, this is probably not a thing that really, you know, obviously, this is nothing that really happened. Emily Dickinson probably <laughs> never had a dream where she walked into her own grave and had these very psychological moments with all of her different family members. Um, she probably didn't have, like, you know, we, we don't know if her father literally came to her and said, so I want you to be the executor of my will and the executing of my will will be to give my son everything um, and you nothing. Like, we don't know that that actually happened to her either, which is sort of the trigger for the dream. Well, and also when you think about the choices that her brother made in real life after her death, um, a lot of the kind of uh, fantastic—I don't mean fantastical—the sort, the sort of idealized way that Austin reacts here, being like, "Of course, I'll let you guys both be independent women forever." And and part of the reason that that uh, Emily's poetry is is uh, was published the way it is and was redacted in certain in certain. Uh, places is because austin's mistress is the one who served as the primary editor on it yeah so yeah like i i i feel like and again in the way it's using a fictionalization of things about emily dickinson's life to get to a much larger truth about her um and i feel like this is just a really great trend in period pieces and it's one that i want to see more of oh, i love it 
I'd love it. And so I'm sort of pushing everybody to watch these two shows because I think the more people who watch these shows and see this, the more of these we'll get. And you're right. I absolutely would love it if um if if the showrunner for the show, uh, Elena Smith is the showrunner for Dickinson. And if part of the reason she was ending Dickinson is so that she could do a Sylvia Plath series, I would be all over that. I would watch that 100%. But I can actually tell you why. Um, because here, here's me being like, I interviewed a showrunner again, but I did actually interview Elena Smith. And she said that uh, the plan was always three seasons because she feels that at the end of this, that the, the journey of Dickinson is about Emily growing up, that it is a coming of age story. And the reason it ends at the end of season three in the midst of her like civil war period of uber productivity is because that's where she sort of like steps into herself and claims herself and her own life and that there are plenty of stories still to tell about emily as an adult but this is like the line of demarcation for her like becoming emily dickinson instead of instead of like trying to figure out who emily dickinson is um so those are those are the two that that we were going to do episodes of that we didn't get to um other another show that i suggested an episode of and that lazy turned me down originally was a show called succession which um, i mean it is not british which is why we did not do it i also love succession but i don't think it fits for us but i told annie she could talk about it um well, the thing is, okay, so it stars a lot of British. It, it is very, it, it stars a lot of British people, and it's very Shakespearean sort of act yeah. structurally. Yeah, uh, basically, it's it's a little bit in the same way that press was sort of based but, on. But, but this is just, but this is just me acknowledging that this one is a big stretch. This one is a big stretch. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, so basically, after the news of the world scandal happened, where um, the uh, the Murdoch family was sort of forced to shut down several of its newspapers for basically illegal behavior in order to get the story, um, this the, the the trial basically inspired two different TV shows. One of which is Press, which we covered back at the time when it aired on PBS, and the other one is this one. Press focused on the press and the morality of telling stories and chasing and, and and digging through people's lives in order to get like sales succession basically tries to fictionalize as sort of the murdoch clan as uh as 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 a sort of a game of thrones sort of story like a little bit king lear a little bit fight for the iron throne um brian, Bri- Co- brian cox who plays the the sort of family patriarch he talks about it as being Lear esque. Well, he also is actually famous for playing Lear. Um, that's actually how he. Be- that's actually uh, how he came to prominence in the 1990s. Was playing Lear in the Royal Shakespeare Company. Um, and he very. It, it, it's very funny because that was 30 years ago, and here he is doing it again, but in a. Uh, modern setting um it also stars matthew mcfadden um who we will all remember as the inferior darcy Um, and he plays the and he very much plays an inferior darcy here in succession um he is the uh, basically uh brian cox is as she said the the patriarch logan roy he is he has four children connor from his first marriage kendall roman and shiv from his second marriage um and shiv is the only daughter um and uh mcfadden plays tom shiv's husband as this sort of pathetic uh, he's actually in love with her kind of character and she like she's incapable of love and doesn't actually understand that he's in love with her um it's yeah it's it's very much it's very odd but it's also incredibly good and incredibly dark and yeah uh Uh, yeah it's just not kidding 
Um, it's like painfully dark, but not dark in the sense of like the family goes around murdering each other, unless we mean like metaphorically murdering each other. They're just all awful people. Yeah, it, it, I've Gre- Greg used to call movies that I would go. I I had a a habit back when I went to movie theaters about like I would go to the art house movie theater and see like notes on a scandal and stuff like that, like stuff that I'd have to go by myself because it was very like. Greg called them lacy movies full of unlikable people doing horrible things. I've never tried to get him to watch Succession because he would 100% hate it because it's nothing but awful people nonstop. Yeah, and it is. It, but at the same time, like, it is so funny. Like, it is It is probably the blackish comedy on television right now. Um, Let me the- put it this way. There's a sequence in season two where they're all at some family dinner and Logan makes his underlings literally uh, play a game called bore on the floor, (laughs) which requires them to literally get on the floor and fight over like sausages. It's truly (laughs) humiliating and horrifying, but also hilariously funny. Yeah. And, and and the thing is, is because everyone is so dislikable, even when you're watching something that is genuinely horrific like that, you almost don't even like feel bad for them because they're all terrible people. Um, and-, and the thing is, is that this is a show like if you are not a viewer who can really handle your moral compass becoming like incredibly warped, like don't watch the show. Yeah, because honestly, like, this, like, has, the- this has broken me ethically. Yeah, the, the, like fully broken. The 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 the, the character that most uh, I I believe most female viewers have a crush on um, is Roman, played by Kieran Culkin. He is like he he's the one who like tells his father that they need to like basically support like the Nazi right wing candidate for president. He's a uh, he he is he he has no moral center whatsoever. <laughs> uh, he's so they none of them do, but um. Truly, I don't think girls want Roman War- Roy. I think girls want Jerry Kelman, um, <laughs> who is the hero we need. Jerry Kelman is the older um, is the older woman who works for the company who is made interim CEO. She's Waystar's legal counsel. Yeah, and she's made interim CEO in season three. And she and Roman have a very strange sort of relationship. Um, I hate myself. That's I sort of them. that's that that, that is one me. part Roman sexually harassing her, and two parts her sort of like punishing him and it's just the weirdest like strangest relationship I've ever seen on television I will I I am honestly gonna defend them for a second because I love Roman and Jerry come at me internet if you are also Roman Jerry people come be my friend because I do think part of the reason we are really all obsessed with them part of the reason is because they have like really ridiculous chemistry but the other part of the reason is they have what is I would argue the most genuine relationship on the show. Like, and maybe one of the only relationships that I think is actually legitimately because they kind of like each other. And I don't see that anywhere, anywhere else. And I think that's literally, like, as viewers, we're trained to to, to want to root for someone. And this is, like, the most cynical show on television. So, of course, we're all going to gravitate to this, like, one relationship that feels like it occasionally might be a little bit honest. And that is my that is my ode to Roman and Jerry. 
Yeah, because God knows Tom and Shiv are, are never honest because Shiv basically sees him as beneath her. And he, 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 there's a level where he married her because it married, he married into the family by marrying her. And, and you sort of know that they're using each other, even if Tom actually does sort of love her. Um, but she also sort of knows that he's using her. So she just, she, she may love him, but she doesn't know how. Um, and of course, then there's Kendall, who is the uh, the sad sack son who is constantly attempting to overthrow his father and failing at every point. Um, and, Part of uh, the fun of this is really trying to figure out like which one of the Lear characters these people correspond to. And I honestly cannot, I cannot peg whether Kendall is Cordelia or like Reagan. I don't know. Like he's more Reagan. I would say like it's really like I think it's possible that Roman is Cornelia. I don't know. Yeah, because Cordelia, Cord- she always struck me as the more the com- more competent one. And Kendall, there's nothing competent about Kendall. Nothing. I would disagree with that. I actually think Kendall is in some ways competent. He is just like a a epic self sabotager. Anyway, um, like I said, succession. <laughs> uh, oh, oh! I, we should also mention that this show is an- yet another series where Harriet Walter guest stars as oh a gosh. mother figure. Um, she is she is the mother of the three middle kids of the three younger kids, Kendall, Roman, and Shiv. Um, and uh, she uh, she actually gets married in this in this season to um, Pip Torrens, um, who again like just a fantastic. He, he's such a tiny part, and he's so fantastic. Um, so there are there are a lot of British actors who sort of come and go in this show that you should really check out because they're just great. Honestly, like I just think Harriet Walter needs to like show up in every single show as somebody's mother at some point. I mean, I would be afraid if she was my mother, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, um, okay, that's enough succession talk. Okay, I feel um, like I could fill the rest of this episode with succession stuff, but I'm gonna keep it moving and go to something that I was really looking forward to that let me down, which is uh, AMC Plus's new Anne Boleyn. Because I don't know if you guys know this, I don't know if I've ranted about this before, but like I am 100% in the tank for Anne Boleyn and all things, and I just wanted this to be, I just wanted this to be better than it was. Oh. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is that this Anne Boleyn is... A, okay, first of all, this Anne Boleyn is a very ambitious Anne Boleyn. Um, they uh, cast Jodie Turner... Well, ambili- amb- ambitious on paper, not in execution. <laughs> okay, yes, that is probably... A, uh, when you read the synopsis of this and you read the plan, you think to yourself, this is going to be good. Jodie Turner-Smith plays Anne Boleyn, the first black Anne Boleyn we've ever seen on screen. There is a real focus on how basically this is all just massively sexist and how horrendously this woman is treated and how like she basically is losing at all times and like you know you think that this is going to be like this great sort of feminist take on Anne Boleyn and it's flat yeah like Jodie Turner Smith is actually like really good mm-hmm. as Anne like much more than I mean this sounds mean but like much more than I expected because I thought this was going to be one of the sort of things that's like look we just did this sort of buzzy casting for stunt purposes but she's honestly great and she is like she needs a better show around her yes that is exactly it because this show is almost completely uninterested in like what makes Anne special or different or what makes her somebody that 
we're still arguing about her life almost 500 years later. And it's really just like, wow, a bunch of horrible things happened to her in a very compressed time period. And I mean, in in a way, that's true. A lot of terrible things did happen to her in a very in a very compressed time period. But at the same time, it's very it's a very frustrating show because, you know, you actually when they do stunt casting like this, you want it to be better. You want it to be well, what's, really good. What's really interesting is they did the stunt casting, but then they don't do anything with it. Like, right? They like, cast, I was um, expecting this to actually, like, maybe make it about race and talk about, like, and, and actually dig into those kinds of issues, too. Especially, you know, with what's happened with the royal family in the last few years. Like, this is a real, uh, this, this has real relevance to today. And instead, what we got was something that was neither interested in her as a person or in what they had done with the casting. Yeah, it's really weird because, like, they cast um, the guy from I May Destroy You, whose name I truly do not know how to pronounce. Um, So I'm not even going to try. He's the, the sort of breakout guy from I May Destroy You. And he is cast as her brother. They are great together. But the rest of the Howard family is white, George George's wife is white like it doesn't like there seems to be no reason for it beyond it was just stunt casting and that's like really frustrating like it does it does sort of lean into a weird like visual representation of kind of the othering of Anne towards the end of her life when like everybody turned on her but also like it's literally just the two of them um yeah and I think that's I honestly I think that sort of colorblind casting at this point has become really passe like when we want these sorts of castings we want them to be realistic like the way Bridgerton does it you know this, and 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 that that may seem a little unfair, but that is really sort of where the where things are going in television and in casting and in what we expect from our media. And I feel like there's a level where this is just such a throwback from that, and it doesn't understand that we want more. Mm, yeah, I just wanted more. Like full stop. Like there's a reason we're still so fascinated by Anne Boleyn and and. This does not add to that discourse in any way. Um, I, I I do have to say one thing that I um one other show that 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 came out that I was very excited for um that didn't disappoint me though I wasn't as thrilled with it as I'd hoped um was Daglish um which uh, I I I. I don't know if I liked that because I talked to Bertie Carvel and he made it sound so interesting and like richer than maybe it was on screen, but I didn't hate it. I, I and you know, I don't know. You know, I'm like not into mysteries. Yeah, I, I didn't hate it. Um, I gr- OK, so Deglish is a remake um, is a remake of the uh, the. Well, OK, Deglish is actually a character in P.D. James's novels. Uh, P.D. James is one of the more modern murder mystery writers in the vein of Agatha Christie. Um, there was a Daglish series that was in the uh, 1970s and 1980s that ran over here on mystery under the masterpiece uh, under the masterpiece banner. Um, and. You know, I grew up on those. I remember those. Um, I can still actually hear the theme song to those in my head when I start talking about it, which is really weird. Um, And so I was very excited at the idea that they were bringing back Daglish. And I don't know, like, I didn't. I didn't hate it. I just wasn't wowed by it. Um, I did love Bertie Carvel. I thought he was great as Daglish. Um, I also really, basically, what they did is they did um three mysteries uh 
three mysteries over six episodes. And the way that it was released, um, Acorn, I think it's Acorn TV. Um, Acorn TV released it as uh, basically two episodes at a time. So over three weeks. So you got each mystery in full each time. And I, I did like that. I thought that was a very good release schedule. If you're going to do, if you're going to do this sort of thing where you do three stories over six episodes, that's the right way to do it. Um, and the first one, Shroud for a Nightingale, was really well done. And then the next one, um, which was The Black Tower, it was not nearly as well done. It was very, the, the ending was very sort of hurried and, and sort of like shoved at the end. And and the third one, like, it was, it, it sort of pulled it back together like it was better. But I was, I was sort of disappointed because you only get three stories that one was not sort of a miss was disappointing. It does have like, very, I mean, granted, the second one was not nearly as bad as like the blind banker on Sherlock. It's <laughs> very like, that feels like the, the sort of roller coaster quality vibe. No, it, it's not, it's not that bad a roller coaster, but it definitely like, I felt like a shroud for a nightingale was the best of the three. A taste for death, mm. which was the last one, was deep decent and i got mad i just mad at the black tower i was like this is not no don't end like that no don't do that um though i will as you said carvel is uh he is uh, first of all he's a brilliant actor um second of all he's incredible to talk to like i've i've interviewed him and he was just it, it, yeah like kind of blew my brain away i know i was just like gosh why are you so thoughtful <laughs> i mean yes please be thoughtful but like you would be surprised how many people are not um <laughs> Um, and, and his, his stag leash is, it's very different from the one that I grew up with, but I actually really like it. And I hope that it- Like he really like put in the, like the, the sort of mental work here. Cause he's mm -hmm. like, this story is all about grief. It's all about the fact that this man deals in death and can't accept death in his personal life. And it's like, he made it really sound thematically rich in a way that I don't know that I would have picked up on my own. Yeah, but um, I I I think as a uh, for those of for those who remember the old Dagleish mysteries from the 1980s, it's worth checking out. Um, I I I'm hoping that it gets a second season, and then there'll be more. There's so many P.D. James books out there. Um, I mean, basically, it ran in 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 sort of fits and starts from like the early 1980s all the way into like the mid 2000s, basically. Um, because there are just so many, and like they actually changed actors at one point because the old one aged out. Um, and uh, I I really. I feel like th this is such a, a show that could really run for like a really long time if Acorn TV wanted it to. I just don't know if they do. And, and I'm kind of a little worried that because one of the three was really not as good as the other two, that, that it won't get a chance to keep going. Uh, my fingers, my fingers are crossed. Um, and I'm going to change the subject again because I just thought of something. We were trying to come up with a list of stuff we wanted to make sure that we mentioned. And I'm actually going to mention something that I haven't. Um, uh, I don't know. Well, I don't actually know how close this is to the original because I haven't seen it. Although people tell me that it's on HBO Max and I should go watch it. But I actually really love the CBS remake of Ghosts. Oh, my gosh. Um... Like, is anyone else watching that? It's so funny. And I got to tell you, I am not a person who watches CBS comedies like at all. And it's really cute. 
Yeah, the the original Ghost is actually really good. It is on HBO Max, and people should absolutely check it out. The CBS remake, I was really worried because a lot of times when we sort of take these British shows and we try the to... The Office first season. when we And recast them with an American sort of bent, they don't translate because there's so much, like, you know, we are, we are two different cultures separated by a common language in so many ways. And, like, there's just br- British things that just don't translate when they bring it over here. And I have not only been pleasantly surprised by how well CBS's ghosts like basically translates to an American story, but how popular it is. Like it really is like their sort of hit of the season. It's really good. And I watched it under duress because I was like, (laughs) oh, no, this is going to be like every time American shows try to remake British shows and they just basically like try to shot for shot the original and granted I haven't seen the original so maybe it was less obvious if they did do that but it really felt like it was a show that had its own perspective outside of being um, a remake of a different show yes which I think is part of the reason why it which is part of the thing that it did correctly is by basically like even though it is a remake of a British show it doesn't feel like one it feels like it has its own point of view and its own ideas. And it's just... It's like when I talk about the uh, American office, like the first season of that is horrendous because they try to <laughs> like... they try to that. They try to just remake the British office and that like does not work. Nope. But, but when it finds its own voice, it becomes a really good show, a show that went on for several seasons too long, but a really great show. Yeah. Um, I... Uh... Some of the other shows that I would like to recommend, um, though I I'm not I haven't seen all of them and not all of them are out yet. One of the things about uh, this past two months, um, if if you read my you know shows to stream in November and December and so forth, there's 13 shows that came out in November and 15 that came out this month. Like there is so many shows out right now, um, and I, I wanted to highlight um, Ragdoll, which is from the team behind Killing Eve. It's not nearly as funny as I'd hoped it was. I was hoping that it would have more of Killing Eve's humor to it, but it is Henry Lloyd Hughes, and and it is. It, it it is a really good thriller in that way. It just I do lo- I do love Lucy Hale from Pretty Little Liars. Yeah, and um I, and I really feel like PLL forever. <laughs> I, I I really feel like it's it's a show that if you are into that sort of thing, if you are into these sort of serial killer like true crime ish kind of stuff, that this is that this is definitely a show you should check out. Um and uh, so I wanted to bring that one up. Um, I also it's it's on AMC Plus, which is a little difficult for people to find because AMC Plus is not nearly as popular as other things. Um, but hopefully it will come to AMC proper sometime next year because that seems to be what happens to AMC Plus shows. Um, I also wanted to um, give a shout out to Landscapers. Oh, I haven't watched that yet, but the cast is, you know, st- as Kendall Roy would say, all bangers all the time. Yeah, seriously. So um, Landscapers is on HBO, not HBO Max, but HBO proper. It is a show that is... Uh, Which is kind of sort of the same thing, but not really. It's ugh. Basically, if it's on HBO, it's definitely a weekly release. If it's on HBO Max, not so much. Anyway, so Landscapers is, again, another true crime thing. It's actually a dramatization of the real-life 1998 murders of uh, the not a- the basically these two not Hampshire people had disappeared for like 10 years and they discovered them buried in the backyard of the couple's daughter 
And like the couple and, and like the, the daughter and her husband like had they were completely like they, they had basically like killed the parents like 10 years ago and had buried them in the backyard and left them there. And it's uh, the, the couple, the murder couple are uh, played by Olivia Coleman and David Lewis, um, who are just fantastic. I mean, Olivia Coleman, obviously, uh, from The Crown um, and and and. This is actually she actually produced this. This was actually her first like major production where like she actually started a production company and this was the first project they did. This is like a total labor of love for her, um, which also comes through when you watch the first episode is out now. It's, as I said, a weekly release. So um, there's only four episodes. So um, it basically it's just going to run across December on Monday nights. I'm very curious about this. I can't believe I hadn't heard about the story. Y'all know I'm like a true crime person. Yeah, so like I really th- to- like I'm actually I- I'm really hoping that like he watches it because this is totally your jam and the fact that like Coleman <laughs> was like and, and this is one of those projects that like got announced in like December of 2019 and like it lost its original the original it was originally supposed to be directed by the guy who did Chernobyl and like he had to leave because it was delayed so long and she had to get a new director like she was determined to make this um so yeah like I, I, I just I feel like a lot of people should keep an eye out for that and watch that um because yeah, it's really good. Um, I also just want to uh, point out because this is uh, I, I don't point these out very often, but Sean the Sheep has come for Christmas, and um, we love Sean the Sheep. Um, as someone who grew up on Wallace and Gromit, I just really want everybody to watch Sean the Sheep. <laughs> um, I think that is fair. People should watch Sean the Sheep. It's it's on Netflix along with it, Netflix basically has like a whole Christmas package that they do now that's got like the Great British Baking Show holidays and so forth and Shaun the Sheep is one of those releases it's streaming and I just it, it's adorable because Shaun the Sheep is always adorable. Um, I endorse that. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I watched that I feel the need to talk about. Have you watched Close to Me, or is that like is that out yet? Uh, it's it, I don't I think it's out next week. Maybe it's it's definitely out in December, and I haven't watched it yet. And I wasn't really planning to until I realized that Christopher Eccleston was in it, and we all know how I feel about Christopher Eccleston. So. Yeah, that's um, um okay, so close to me is on Sundance now, which is one of AMC Plus's other streaming services. Um AMC Plus is the only one who doesn't have a unified streaming service and so they do a ton of little niche things like Acorn um and like IFC and uh Sundance now is sort of their other place where you can find British stuff. Like basically they have BBC America, they have Acorn, they have AMC Plus and they have Sundance now and there's just sort of British things sort of strewn across all of them. And uh uh, one of the two shows that Sundance now has for December is this Close to Me show, um, which stars Connie, Connie Nielsen and Christopher Eccleston. And basically, like, she basically, like, she hits her head and she completely loses, like, her, her short-term memory and she has no idea what's like happening. A, like a year. Yeah. I like, she, lo- like she just uses, like, the last year and she's trying to sort of piece together, like, the recent past and she sort of realizes how completely like she didn't know her own life and her own husband and her own relationship as she sort of has to piece it together from the outside and it, yeah it, it it got a lot of really great reviews when it aired on channel four and it's a six-parter and i i just highly recommend huzzah i would like to thank the great for giving me my standard response to things now which is huzzah <laughs> uh. <laughs> I am sure that there is something we missed. There is oh, so tons. much stuff 
right now. So if you have something that you watched this fall that we have not talked about that you think we should talk about, we would love to hear about it. Uh, we are at televisions at weta.org. Send us your um, now stream this stuff we missed this fall recommendations because that is fully what I plan to do over a large part of the holidays is just watch a bunch of stuff that I haven't watched yet. Um, But I think we have babbled at you enough about this for right now. Uh, stay tuned for our next babbling about the best stuff we watched this year, which I think we'll try to not talk about these again, but you know, you never know. Um, Annie, tell the people where you live on the internet. Uh, you can find me at Annie Bundle on Twitter. You can find me at Miss Annie Bundle on Facebook. You can find pictures of my extremely fuzzy cats and their beautiful tails at Annie Bundle on Instagram. Uh, let's see. I am a staff writer at Elite Daily and the associate editor here at Televisions. Plus, I freelance around the web. Um, so, you know, if you want to know what I'm writing this week, just basically follow me on Twitter because I retweet all of my bylines and that's the best way to find them all. Woohoo. Uh, I am Lacey MB on Twitter. That is L-A-C-Y-M-B. And I write a lot here at Televisions and around the entertainment web. But I, too, always tweet my bylines. So just come and be my friend and you can talk to me about TV. Uh, if you just want the cat photos, uh, the boys are on Instagram at Baker and Hammer. And fair warning, I just got a lot of pictures from their foster of when they were very tiny in tiny sweaters. So get ready for that holiday hashtag content coming soon. Uh, you just want the British stuff, the site and the pod are at telly underscore visions on Twitter and television's blog, all one word on Facebook. We are a product of WETA. And if you like what we do, you can visit us at televisions.org to read some more of it and click on that donate button up top to help us keep creating all of this content. And while you're there, you can also get access to PBS Passport, which if you think there was a lot of content this fall, wait till January. Um, oh, my Lord. There's so much content coming, and a lot of it will be available for various uh, extended and early viewing on Passport. So, you know, mark your calendars. That is our show. 2021 is somehow almost over. Our our uh, The holidays are coming. We've only got one more episode this year because we're going to take the holidays off for our own sanity. Uh, I don't know, guys. <laughs> I'm still processing 2020 the- people. Right? Right? I saw this meme that was like Sam Wilson running from Capital Captain America, uh, the Winter Soldier. And it's like me processing 2020 and like Steve Rogers is running up on his left. And it's like 2022 is in one month. Um, it is in less than one month now. And I am not emotionally prepared. So I hope you guys are doing better on that front than I am. Please, uh, please, please, with the spread of a new coronavirus variant, consider getting a COVID booster if you have not yet done so. And I don't know. Be nice to each other. It's rough out there. We're heading into year three of a pandemic. Everything seems kind of bleh, but uh, I don't know. We'll try to entertain you along the way. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Mm-hmm.